The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here's your top five at five. Buyers are in the driver's seat right now as stocks look to extend yesterday's gains. Futures right now sharply higher. Also higher, oil as OPEC leaders and allies head to Vienna to discuss a possible massive output cut. Big tech biting its fingernails as the Supreme Court takes up the industry's highly controversial liability shield, Section 230. Plus, meta platforms reportedly cutting back on its big Apple footprint and insider buying alert at Berkshire Hathaway. Find out who in Omaha is making a massive bet on their own stock to the tune of $70 million. It's Tuesday, October 4th, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu and for Brian Sullivan today, let's kick off your Tuesday morning with U.S. equity futures. As I pointed out, sharply higher. They are bid. You can see right now the Dow is implied higher by roughly 382 points. The S&P higher by 56. And that NASDAQ trade, the epicenter, the technology volatility, that NASDAQ implied higher by 217 points. Now, we are trying to kick off the month and quarter on the positive side of things. The Dow did close up more than 760 points. As you can see with this time lapse, it was pretty much generally positive all day long, nearly 2.7% to the upside, back above that 29,000 mark for the Dow. The S&P also surging 2.6% after falling Friday to its lowest level since November of 2020. Both indices coming off their best single sessions since early on in the summer. Those falling yields doing their part to ease some of those investor nerves. And right now, those yields are slipping a little bit further. The 10-year note yield, remember, we had touched just above 4% there, is now down to 3.58%. The two-year note yield, 4.02%. And that 30-year long bond, just a hair below 3.65%. In the energy market, oil coming off a nearly 4% gain of its own yesterday. You can see here WTI U.S. benchmark prices for West Texas Intermediate, $84.24, $0.61 upside there, about three-quarters of 1%. Similar percentage move to the upside for world benchmark ice Brent crude futures, currently $89.58. Now, all of this is happening ahead of tomorrow's big OPEC Plus meeting in Vienna, where the cartel is considering reducing output globally for its partner countries by more than a million barrels per day. We will have much more on this later on in the hour. And in cryptocurrencies, we're seeing Bitcoin and Ether prices also finding at least some support. Bitcoin prices are higher today, though still below 20,000. 19,912 right now for Bitcoin, up 2%, 2.5% gains for Ether, 1349 spot 20, the last trade there. Now, around the world, markets in China still closed for a week long holiday there. Hong Kong as well closed overnight. But green arrows pretty much for the rest of the major averages in Asia, including Japan, as you can see there, jumping more than 2%. Plus, the Reserve Bank of Australia slowing the pace of its rate hikes to just, just 
25 basis points or one quarter of one percent. Europe's trading day. Let's spin that globe around. Also getting underway right now. You can see pretty much green across the screen and and very much so. The CAC in France up three percent. The FTSE 100 in the UK up about one and three quarters percent. Two and a half percent gains for the German DAX. Econ data of note there. The Eurozone August producer price index up 43.2 percent on the year. So a massive move higher there in certain parts of that kind of inflationary picture. Now, let's stick with Europe and the ongoing fiscal fallout from yesterday's policy about face in the UK. And if Liz Truss's government can get public opinion and confidence back on their side, our own Jeff Cutmore joins us now from Birmingham, England. And the reason why Birmingham is so important, Jeff, is because that is where the Conservative Party conference is taking place right now. So what's the buzz? Yeah, absolutely, Dominic. Um, The Conservative Party, of course, in government for the last 12 years. The uh, Liz Truss Quateng team, the latest incarnation of leadership for the party here. But 10 days ago, they announced a mini budget which upset the markets because it had tens of billions of pounds worth of unfunded tax cuts. Now, that U-turn was to cut the top rate of uh, tax. The, The top rate of tax was going to be cut from 45 to 40 percent. Ultimately, that decision has now been reversed. It would only save the government about £2 billion, which is a drop in the ocean when it comes to the other unfunded tax cuts that were part of this package. So what we also think is going to happen now is they are going to bring forward the date when they communicate with the markets how that package is going to be funded. There is also the fiscal regulator here, the OBR, the Office of Budget Responsibility, which will release its own assessment of what needs to be done to meet those costings. So that now looks like it will come forward many weeks just to give the markets a bit more confidence that this government is not fatally damaged, that the Chancellor does have some credibility with markets and ultimately that they will come up with a financial plan that works for markets, for the economy and for the British people. Back to you. Jeff, uh, we made a big deal of this about face because it is an about face. This, this, the, the top end tax rate that they were talking about, it's not like it was going to raise a lot of money. It's not like it was going to be a massive impact to the overall budget that's being put forward. But it was more about whether or not it was an indication of the strength and, like you point out, credibility of the trust government. That's the reason why people are talking about it so much, not necessarily the dollar impact of just the tax cut. So do you feel as though the trust Quartang team have that kind of influence still within the party to push through this kind of agenda? I think the jury is still out on that question. We spoke to a a grandee of the Conservative Party, Lord Francis Maud, a little bit earlier, and he says he doesn't think there will be an immediate challenge to this Prime Minister and to this Chancellor from within the party. But there is a lot of unhappiness. And you could see when Kwasi Kwarteng, the Chancellor, gave that speech yesterday where he talked about some of these changes, there were a lot of stony faces in the room and the party faithful have had their confidence shaken. So they need to step in a very sure way from here on in. And I think they've had a chastening lesson 
from the markets. They've been disciplined. I think it's now incumbent upon them to maintain this confidence that the markets have refound in the pound sterling and sterling-based assets. It's down to the Chancellor and the Prime Minister to show a bit more sure-footedness from here on in. Otherwise, I think the party faithful here, who are ultimately responsible for their destiny, could decide that it's been a short tenureship, but it's one that needs to come to an end very quickly. Back the, to you. The British pound sterling we're showing, Jeff, right now, $1.1372, which is where it was before that budget and stimulus plan was unveiled. So we'll keep an eye on what's happening with the British pound. Thank you very much, Jeff, in Birmingham in the UK. Let's get to some of this morning's other top stories. Silvana Henao is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hi, Dom. Good morning. Well, Facebook and Instagram parent Meta Platforms is reportedly planning to close one of its New York City offices as it looks for new ways to cut costs. Now, according to Bloomberg, the company will terminate its lease at 225 Park Avenue and consolidate operations around Hudson Yards and Penn Station. The latest cost-cutting measure follows the company's plans to freeze hiring and restructure some teams. Meta shares are off more than 60 percent from their most recent 52-week high. The White House is reportedly preparing new export controls on semiconductors and the machines used to make them. Now, according to The Wall Street Journal, the move is the latest push by the Biden administrations to deny China the ability to make faster and more cutting edge computer chips. Now, if confirmed, it will add to export restrictions already in place when it comes to chips used for artificial intelligence. Officials are also weighing adding more Chinese technology companies to the Commerce Department blacklist. And European shares of Credit Suisse bouncing back in a very big way after falling as much as 12 percent yesterday on fears over its long-term financial viability. And despite this morning's bounce back, shares are just a hair over their all-time low and down more than 50 percent this year. And also of note, Dom, five-year credit default swaps for Credit Suisse rose sharply higher yesterday and are up more than 40 percent over the past month. Yeah, that bond insurance to insure against Credit Suisse default, certainly near the highest level since Mm -hmm. the financial crisis, Silvana. Thank you very much for those headlines. We'll see you later on. Back to the futures now. As stocks look to continue yesterday's rally with all three indices pointed towards higher opens, as you can see there. But does this rally really have legs or is it just another one of these bear market bounces? So joining me now is Ross Mayfield, investment strategy analyst at Baird. I mean, Ross, I guess that's the question right now. What's your feeling? bear market bounce or the beginning of a rip your face off rally so far it feels to me more just like a bit of a relief rally right it's it's very sharp sentiment was was very dour and and more broadly nothing at the big picture level has changed you know the things that have been driving the market inflation the fed geopolitical uncertainty those are all still there so this feels like more of a relief rally until we get some confirmation from some of those other bigger picture items that something has meaningfully shifted I think we're just in for this sort of volatile chop and, and the the burden of proof remains on the bulls still. So the burden of proof on the bulls right now, but but maybe part of the argument behind why the, the, the market rallied with the strength that it did yesterday was in the face of lower interest rates. Right. And maybe the Fed doesn't have to be so aggressive if certain signs of the inflationary picture are showing signs of maybe not cooling off, but leveling off for the time being. The 10 year note yield is now drifting back towards three and a half percent on the long term side of things. Isn't that a good enough reason for the markets to get a little bit more positive? Sure. I mean, I think it's a great reason short term. And I think ultimately 
the Fed pivot and the path of interest rates will determine where the equity market goes over the next year or so. But this was the same reason the market rallied, you know, midsummer, right? We had a bit of relief on rates. We had talk of the, the Fed pivot and some of the inflation indicators, things like gas prices coming down. And then August CPI comes in hot, core CPI broadens out, comes in higher than expected, and the Fed is forced to kind of come out and, and regain their hawkish attitude. I think they're starting to get comfortable with where the market is pricing the terminal Fed funds rate, uh, the market's you know basic expectation that they will do what is needed to get inflation in check. That means you know more pain, higher rates, more quantitative tightening. So I think the market has come around to this idea, but there's still a long way to go in the labor market. And there's still a long way to go in like places like the housing market in order to get inflation where they need to be to actually pivot. And the question is, can they get there before you know a recession kind of hits or before the economy slows to a point of, of no return for this cycle? I mean, it's splitting hairs, Ross. But in yesterday's massive rally, it was very broad based, very across the board, two plus percent gains for the major indices. But interesting, again, splitting hairs, it was the Nasdaq that underperformed only up about two and a quarter percent. What's the prospect you think for that big tech trade? Look, I, they, they've, they've lagged for the better part of a, the last two years. Um, interest rates have been a major headwind to the sector. Valuation has been a major headwind to the sector. And they're not acting like leadership at all right now. Our, our partners at Strategus, a Baird company, have called out the top of the market, the big cap uh, tech names, as some of the weaker trends in the entire market. Um, when you see a day like yesterday and you see them lag on rate reprieve, a broad rally, that's a pretty good sign that they're not going to work in the near term. You know, longer term, I think these companies are, are you know, I, I guess it depends company to company, but broadly the big cap tech trade, you know, they have big moats, they, they have a lot of cash, they're, they're pretty um, debt light. But in the near term, that is not a trade that has worked and, and it doesn't look to be one that will work in the near future, at the very least until rates, you know, officially meaningfully pivot and that's probably not, you know, a 2022 story. All right. Ross Mayfield, not as constructive on technology, for at least not for the time being. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. When we come back on the show, we speak with one former OPEC insider on what's in store for tomorrow's big meeting in Vienna. And if this proposed alleged one million barrel per day cut could become a reality. Plus, no profits, no problem for Rivian. As shares are popping in the pre-market, they're up seven and a half percent. We'll tell you why next. And later on, talk about selling at a discount as online fashion retailer Poshmark goes private for less than half, half of its IPO price. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Oil prices are edging up on the day on the expectation that OPEC Plus may agree to a massive production cut when the group meets tomorrow. Crude prices rallied yesterday with Brent climbing more than 4% and U.S. benchmark WTI gaining more than 5%. Now, traders expect OPEC and its allies, which include, of all other countries, Russia, will reduce output by more than a million barrels per day. That's the expectation right now. OPEC sources telling Reuters voluntary cuts by individual members could come on top of that one million barrel per day, making it the group's largest cut since the start of the COVID pandemic. So let's get more insight now with Jorge Leon, who's the senior VP at Rystad Energy, also a former energy demand analyst for OPEC, a guy who knows what he's talking about when it comes to that particular cartel and its partner countries. Jorge, let's talk about whether or not this OPEC plus possible one million per barrel, one million barrel per day cut is going to do anything to get oil prices jump started to the upside. Hi, Dom. Great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Well, there's a few things to bear in mind. The first one is is that um, the cut, whether it's 1 million, 1.5, no one really knows um, so far. We're hearing a million barrels per day. We're hearing um, probably voluntary cuts from the from Saudi for another half a million, but no one really knows the decision will be taken tomorrow. One thing to bear in mind, though, is that whether those cuts are implemented, only part of those cuts will actually be delivered because most of the OPEC plus member countries are are underproducing anyway. So so the market is already pricing in part of that reduction, but we're probably not going to see the full reduction of the of the cuts in the in the coming months. Let's talk about why, Jorge, they are even contemplating these cuts. I mean, we know well, prices are we know prices are down. Is it because they could fall even further, given what's happening with the macro economy? So I think it's that we, we, we shouldn't forget that prices were up to $130 per barrel um, uh, early summer. They've declined massively. Uh, we're now at $84, $85 per barrel WTI. Uh, now, there's big concerns about the economic growth globally. Um, inflation um, around the world is, is kicking in. Rising interest rates is also putting out putting a hold on economic growth. So I think there's massive concern about how the demand of oil will do, will perform in the next few in the next few few months. And we see an oversupply market in the next few months. So downside pressure on prices. Therefore, if OPEC wants to limit that downside pressure, the only thing that they could do is start implementing cuts again for the first time since since um, since May 2020. Since, since, since folks like you, Jorge, are, are, are paid, in essence, to predict what's going to happen or analyze what could happen, what's the thought? Where should U.S. benchmark WTI prices be? Where should Brent prices be, given the demand and supply assumptions that you have in your mind? So, so far, what we think is that if nothing happens, prices w, uh, Brent should, uh, should average in the fourth quarter somewhere around low 80s. Um, uh, now, so, sorry, low, low, low 90s. If uh, there is a cut of more than a million barrels per day, then that cut um, should prompt the prices to increase to around $95 per barrel in, um, in the fourth quarter. If the cut is even higher with voluntary cuts from Saudi, let's say 1.5 million barrels per day, prices could spike to $100 per barrel in, at the end of the fourth quarter um, this, this year. So um, still to be decided, um, we've heard that the meeting is taking place tomorrow. Uh, there's a lot of negotiations going on at the moment, so, so we don't know, but that's the expectation of the, of the market. All right. Still a lot of 
decision-making to be had. Of course, it's a cartel, and they all have to agree. So, Jorge Leon, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you Still so on much. deck for the show, insider buying alert. As one of Berkshire's executives bets big on his own stock, we'll tell you who. We're back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. First up, you've got Poshmark. South Korean e-commerce company Naver announcing a deal to buy the fashion resale platform for $1.2 billion. Now, Naver, which is also South Korea's top search engine, will pay $17.90 a share. That's less than half of Poshmark's IPO price when it began trading just last year. Poshmark has, by the way, about 80 million registered users, so those shares up about 11% right now. Stock number two is Rivian. The company says it produced more than 7,300 vehicles in the third quarter and delivered more than 6,500. That's in line with its own prior forecast. Rivian also saying it's on track to produce 25,000 vehicles this full year, despite some earlier production setbacks. Those shares up 7.5%. And stock number three, an insider buying alert at Berkshire Hathaway. Greg Abel, who is in line possibly to succeed Warren Buffett as CEO, bought nearly 70 million bucks of the company's stock just last week. Now, in an SEC filing, it shows that Abel, who is Berkshire's vice chairman, bought 168 Class A shares. That's the big number shares this summer. Abel sold his stake in the utility division he used to lead back to Berkshire for around $870 million dollars. So even after last week's stock purchases, he has a smaller overall investment in the company than he used to. But those Berkshire Hathaway A shares, guess what? They don't trade a lot liquidly in the pre-market. So let's get a check on this other morning's top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest here. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Dom. Good morning. We begin with the massive recovery efforts down in Florida. So far, 1,600 people have been rescued. Hundreds of firefighters are on the ground actively searching through piles of debris for any signs of life. Across the entire state of Florida, more than 450,000 still don't have electricity. And the death toll now stands at 106. In Fort Myers Beach, it could take up to a month to restore power. In a major escalation, North Korea fired a ballistic missile over Japan for the first time in five years. Japanese officials believed it landed in the Pacific Ocean. According to the Japanese prime minister's office, authorities issued evacuation alerts to residents in the northeastern regions and suspended some trains. The Biden administration strongly condemned what they called a reckless and dangerous launch. Over to the sports world, the 49ers and Rams finished off week four in the Bay Area. That is Jeff Wilson breaking through the horns of the Rams defense for the game's first touchdown. But it was all about San Francisco's D. They kept L.A. out of the end zone all night. A late pick six would seal the deal for the Niners. They win it 24-9. to Right before halftime, Rams linebacker Bobby Wagner got a big hit tackling a protester who ran out onto the field. The game was delayed for several minutes as security took him off of the field. So the protester probably waking up this morning in the can with 
Probably a major headache after getting clocked by an all-pro linebacker, Dom. I, I got to tell you, Philip, I'm, I'm in a bit of a fog right now. I needed some extra coffee because as a born and raised Northern California native, I stayed up all night to watch the entirety of that San Francisco-LA game. So I'm a little worse for the wear, but I'm very happy for my Niners. Well, there you go. Well worth it for you then. <laughs> you got it. Thank you very much, Philip Menace. Straight ahead in the show, making sense of the market mayhem and the stock picks that could help you weather the uncertainty. Gilman Hills' Jenny Harrington is coming up later on in the show. Plus, actor Will Smith back on the big screen for the first time since his infamous Chris Rock Oscar slap. That and your top trending stories coming up ahead. But first, CNBC's American Greed is back. Yes, it is for an all-new season. Tonight, it's Nicola founder Trevor Milton on American Greed, charged with securities fraud and selling investors a quote-unquote ocean of lies when taking his electric truck company public. Now ahead of that 10 p.m. Eastern time premiere, here is a sneak peek at that season premiere episode. Then there's the Badger, which was greeted with fanfare when unveiled. You're going to see the real Badger. It's it's real, and everyone gets to see that pickup truck. It had a lot of people who said, hey, that's a good-looking truck. I want to see that truck. According to the government, the Badger was nothing more than a pretty picture. Well, it was a drawing. It was never a truck. It was never built. What's more, the government says Milton ordered his designers to simply put a slick facade over the base of a Ford F-150 truck. Ford, one of the companies he trashes. A solid start to the new trading month and quarter could be set to roll on. Futures right now pointing to more gains, sharp gains, on tap. The Supreme Court set to take on big tech as a key law shielding social media companies over user content can come into question. And Elon Musk facing severe scrutiny over his take on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. He weighed in there, and what he says are the options to end that deadly conflict. It's Tuesday, October 4th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan. Let's get right to the futures right now because they are bid. Now, you can see here the Dow Industrials implied higher by just about a percent. The one and a half percent gain implied at the open for the S&P is also pretty solid here. And the Nasdaq up by nearly two percent at the opening bell. All of that amid the rally. Yields now falling to the 10 year side of things. Now, you can see just to the downside, 3.58 percent the last trade there. Now, in the energy market, Oil is coming off a nearly 4% gain yesterday. It's again higher this morning. U.S. benchmark prices up about two-thirds of, or yes, two-thirds of 1%, $84.19. Three-quarters of 1% to cl- or advances there for ice Brent crude futures, $89.61. Let's dive further into the market action and options action for sure with John Nigerian, Market Rebellion co-founder. He's also a CNBC contributor. Dr. J, there's been a lot of activity and maybe not unexpected given the market volatility. So what is standing out to you right now? Where are those options trades coming with the most heat? Well, right now, Dom, the, some of the most active are fading what has happened over the last uh, 24 hours in the market. Uh, so, for instance, you just mentioned interest rates are back down to 3.58, and that's the 10-year. Uh, a lot of us feeling a little sigh of relief 
uh, there, but there's certainly some bets that maybe the market keeps going back the way it was going in the previous uh, four weeks rather than this little respite that we've got because there's a lot of bets with the TLT. This is an ETF, of course, that tracks the bonds and uh, the 20-year bond, Dom. And right now, they're betting that it goes back down between now and basically Friday, we might see a little bit of a swoon. In other words, like I say, a very short move to the downside for rates, uh, because as the TLT moves down, rates move up. And that's one of the big bets that we see on the table right now. So, so that's on the, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a tale of the economy. It's a tale of what's happening from a macro big picture standpoint. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, if you're a trader, you couldn't help but also watch what happened with, with crude oil prices yesterday as well. Market, long, longer term downtrend now for crude prices over the course of the last several months here. But what's the prospect out there? Are, are traders getting more bullish or bearish on where crude goes from here given OPEC plus tomorrow? Uh, definitely getting more bullish there. Uh, so, for instance, you could track it across the entire sector um, from the uh, OIH uh, to the XLE. But specifically, Dom, we had a lot of activity in the MRO. Um, basically, uh, this one, they're buying the October 26 calls uh, that expire this Friday. And those calls were bought with the stock between 24 and a half and 25. So just out of the money looking for a pop to come our way tomorrow with exactly what you described, that meeting in Vienna, that appears to be the catalyst for this buying. And, uh, John, we're, we're just showing viewers right now and listeners on SiriusXM, the Marathon Oil Chart MRO shows that it is right out 26, the figure, right, up 4% right now. It's the biggest gainer in, albeit thinner, pre-market trading right now in the S&P 500. So we'll keep an eye on Marathon Oil as well. I wonder if there are, if there are any other plays out there in some of these stocks that have either been very beaten up or rallied tremendously in the in the wake of this kind of market downturn that you see either continuing or or reversing course. Well, um, you know, Carvana, uh, those uh, real estate, or I mean, I'm sorry, the uh, car that is in a vending machine, Dom, or that would be delivered to you. Um, that one, of course, really captivated a lot of people and certainly did exceedingly well during the uh, shutdown, the pandemic. But it has just been slammed. And the most recent earnings report uh, didn't help at all either with their outlook. So right now, they're buying next week expiring uh, calls. That's the October 14th expiring calls. Um, and they're buying those at the 20th. 23 strike with the stock at 2176. Now it's come down from 54 in mid-August, August 16th, I believe, all the way down to 20 bucks. So to see a little bit of a pop wouldn't surprise anybody. And they're betting that it happens over the next, call it uh, 10 days or so, a pretty significant move to the upside that could make people uh, a lot of money if indeed that plays out that way. And we're already showing, uh, John, right now up 5% Carvana shares to $22.57. So one week expiry, 23 strike call options already drifting Mm -hmm. up towards that $23 level right now pre-market. John Najarian, thank you very much. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you, Dom. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's top stories. Silvana Hinao is back with those. Silvana. 
Hi, Dom. Well, Elizabeth Holmes landing a legal victory in her bid for a new trial. The judge overseeing Holmes's fraud trial, granting the Theranos founder a hearing on her allegations the government manipulated testimony from a key witness who testified against her. That hearing is set to take place October 17th. Holmes's attorneys argue the allegedly manipulated testimony from a former Theranos lab director may have influenced the jury's decision. NVIDIA is stopping operations and closing its offices in Russia. The chipmaker making the move, saying it could no longer operate effectively in the country because of the events related to the invasion of Ukraine. NVIDIA had previously suspended shipments to the country, but maintained a presence there to support workers. Now sticking with the invasion of Ukraine, Elon Musk facing intense backlash over his proposed solution to that conflict. Musk posting a Twitter poll with his suggestions for ending the invasion, including Ukraine ceding territory to Russia. The Tesla CEO facing severe scrutiny from Ukrainian leaders, including President Vladimir Zelensky, who conducted his own Twitter poll asking users if they liked Musk more when he supported Ukraine or supported Russia. It's a change for Musk, who had earned praise in Ukraine after his Starlink satellite communication system allowed Ukrainians and the Ukrainian military to bypass Internet outages there, Dom. Thank you very much for those headlines to Washington, D.C., where the Supreme Court is set to take up a key case taking on big technology. Social media companies in particular are in focus and whether they could be held liable for content posted by their users. Eamon Javers joins us now with more on that story. Eamon, what exactly are the justices looking for at this case with regard to the so-called Section 230? Yeah, that's right, Dom. And it starts with 23-year-old Noemi Gonzalez. She was one of 130 people who was killed in Paris during an ISIS terrorist attack way back in 2015. Now her family is arguing in court that YouTube helped to spread ISIS's violent message because its algorithms suggested extreme content to users based on the previous videos that they had watched. Now, the family wants to sue YouTube, which is owned by Google, for that. Uh, but there's one thing that could be standing in the way here, and that's Section 230, of the Communications Decency Act of 1996, which says internet companies aren't really liable for content posted on their platforms by third-party users. Now, that same law has also gotten into the political fray here, come under fire from conservatives who say that social media companies are squelching right-wing content, and from liberals who say that social media companies are fomenting insurrectionist and extremist right-wing messages. The case began as a lawsuit in federal court in Northern California in 2016, alleging that YouTube violated the Anti-Terrorism Act. That suit was initially dismissed, but the Ninth U.S. Circuit of Appeals revived it uh, back in June of 21. So the Supreme Court uh, is looking at this now. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has been critical of Section 230 due to the enormous size uh, and market penetration of the social media companies. It's not clear now, Dom, how this new 6-3 conservative supermajority uh, on the the court is going to impact this case, but any ruling striking down the liability protection here could call into question just the fundamental economics of posting user-generated content at all, uh, which is why this case is going to be intently watched in Silicon Valley. The court here not expected to actually decide this case uh, for many months. They're just taking it up now. Uh, so there's a long way to go here, Dom. Back so, to so, uh, okay, so we know that we don't exactly know what's going to happen here, but we know that this idea of regulating technology and specifically 
social media companies because of their broadcast reach is not a new story. And that Section 230 has been a lightning rod for years now at this point. Do we think any kind of Supreme Court action would then change the overall narrative for a lot of folks and how they view social media in in legislative circles and lawmaking circles? Would they look to craft new legislation around that, given the Supreme Court's potential hypothetical ruling? That's going to depend on the election in November, Dom. I mean, as of right now, you can't see any major uh, social media legislation getting through this Congress, certainly not this year, given that we're uh, just a month away from the election at this point. Um, But, you know, depending on the results next year, if you get a big majority one way or the other, uh, maybe you could see some action on Section 230. Uh, It seems like a big stretch, though, for any Congress, just given the ferocity of of opinion on all sides around this thing. Uh, But this Supreme Court, Dom, has signaled already and demonstrated already that it is not afraid to make sweeping changes to the way things have been. You just look at the Roe versus Wade decision this year. Uh, This court uh, is is, uh, looking at its fundamental values and fundamental interpretation of the Constitution and saying, you know, we're going to clear away some of the stuff that's existed before. So you wonder what social media would look like in a world where you couldn't post all this third-party content without being liable for it. That would be a very different world than the one we have right now, Don. And, of course, there is a multi, 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 multi-million dollar lobbying machine behind Silicon Valley going to Washington, D.C. as well. Yeah, Eamon Jabbers, thank you very much for that update. Now, demand on the decline. Diana Olick lays out the new signals in that push to get workers back into the office, but that push may be stalling out. But first, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories... Speaking of real estate, New York City's real estate comeback hitting a rough patch in the third quarter. Apartment sales in Manhattan falling 18% during that period. That figure last fell in the fourth quarter of 2020. MasterCard launching a new product to help fight fraud tied to cryptocurrencies. The company's security service will help banks assess the risk of crime associated with crypto merchants on its card network. And Will Smith set to make his return to acting In the wake of his Oscar slap controversy with Chris Rock earlier this year, Apple TV is releasing the trailer for the slavery drama Emancipation starring Smith. The film will debut on the platform and in theaters in December. Worldwide Exchange is back in just a moment. All right, let's get a check on futures right now. They are indicated fairly sharply higher right now. The S&P 500 in just the last few minutes or so has spiked up towards session highs, now implied higher by about one and a half percent following big gains yesterday. The Dow is implied higher by one and a quarter percent and nearly two percent advance implied for the Nasdaq. So again, we'll keep an eye on that. Again, session highs right now, it looks like, for the futures market. Now, the push to get workers back to the office is facing some renewed challenges. New data is revealing that demand for office space is still very much below pre-pandemic levels as employers grapple really with growing economic headwinds. Diana Olick has more on the data and the trends that it could be showing. Diana, are people going to return to the office more full time? 
Well, that remains to be seen, but it's not showing up in the numbers. New demand for office space, Dom, fell for the third straight month in August, in August, according to a new report from VTS, which analyzes the top seven gateway markets. It was down 11.5% from July and is now below half of its pre-pandemic pace, this despite an uptick last spring when some companies ordered employees back to work. Now, this report tracks new tenant tours, both in person and virtually, so it's therefore an indication of future leasing. Office vacancies, though, are still well above pre-pandemic levels. All but one market in the survey of seven, that's Washington, D.C., saw a decline in August demand. The market seeing the biggest drops were New York City, of course, Los Angeles and Seattle, down 23 percent, 14 percent and 14 respectively. Boston, Chicago and San Francisco saw more modest declines. Now, researchers at VTS say economic concerns around inflation and rising interest rates are fueling uncertainty, which in turn may be inhibiting some potential tenants from embarking on their search for office space until the picture is clearer. Another report from Fitch that looks at how many workers actually go into the office showed a slight improvement. It pointed to a survey from the Partnership for New York, which found 49 percent of Manhattan office workers are currently at the workplace on the average weekday. That's up from 38 percent in August, in April. And pre-pandemic office utilization, though, averaged 70 percent. Dom? So, okay, so the data suggests, and this is, this is maybe a, a kind of a leading indicator, right, of this return to office. How yes. then do we, these are the major markets. Is there a sense right now that, that in some of the kind of more middle markets, right, bigger cities, but not New York or L.A., across the United States, outside of Chicago, say like a Kansas City or, or say like a Salt Lake City? Are, are they saying, are, are, can we extrapolate the same kinds of trends there? Or is this basically yeah. just about kind of larger coastal cities that have already had massive urban kind of footprints to begin with? Well, that's what this report does. It looks at those seven major cities and then it extrapolates it out nationally. And it says if this is the trend there, this is likely the trend in other cities as well. It doesn't cover those other, other cities, so we can't say exactly. But it does say nationally this is the expectation. And that's why it looks at those big markets, because it says you would expect in those larger markets where more office workers exist, and generally that's where they go, that it might even be less in some of the inner, you know, smaller city markets throughout the country. All right. Certainly something to keep an eye on, whether or not people are actually getting back to the office. Diana Olick, thank you very much for that. Uh, as we head out to break, throughout Hispanic Heritage Month, CNBC is celebrating our teammates, our contributors, our colleagues. So here is Kraft Heinz North America President Carlos Abrams Rivera. We are very much a passionate uh, people who care deeply and who celebrate loudly. So I think... When you're with us, you'll get to see the world with a new tapestry of colors that you have never seen before. The reality is that we are entrenched in the fabric of America. And you may know the sounds of, you know, Bad Bunny and J-Lo, and, and you may know the food of Mexico, Puerto Rico, and Brazil, and we're all that. But we're also in Congress and the Supreme Court, and we are Nobel laureates, and we are scientists. And when you talk about the story of America, many of those voices are going to have a Spanish accent. 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now near their session highs. You can see the Dow's implied higher by just about one and a quarter percent. Let's get set for your trading day ahead and bring in Jenny Harrington, Chief Executive Officer and Portfolio Manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management. She is also a CNBC contributor, often featured on the Halftime Report and elsewhere. Jenny, let's talk about whether or not yesterday's price action and today's pre-market action makes you feel good, or is it just maybe more of a kind of bear market rally situation in your mind? Well, this is where head and heart divide, right? So yes, Dom, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel great. I was so happy yesterday. I was thrilled when I woke up this morning and saw futures up so much. So that's where, you know, you let your, or as a portfolio manager, you check your human side and you bring out your cold-hearted capitalist side and then start actually doing the math. And so, well, my gut says, yeah, you know, maybe we've seen the worst and I can make a lot of arguments that we've seen the worst. I can also make arguments that there's there's pain yet ahead. So I have a real struggle right now. Um, if you want me to, I can walk you through the yeah, pros yeah. and cons. Yeah, please do so, because that struggle, okay. if it's equal, it means you're doing nothing. But if one is winning out, that means you're thinking about opportunities one way or the other. So which way are you tilting? Well, even if it's equal, though, you're not doing nothing, because there's the macro side, right? So on the macro side, the pros are things like, Valuations are actually quite reasonable, believe it or not. Assuming S&P earnings hold up, we're at 15 times right now. And we got to as low as 14 and a half times at the worst of 2020 and at the worst of 2018. So we're kind of there on valuation. Then we have things like the Fed. It's probably not going to get worse. And we've, we've, seen, we've seen a lot of action from the Fed. We probably have a couple of rate hikes left. I don't know how bad they'll be. But the job owning and the work that's been done has clearly made a big impact because that has reduced interest rates. We saw the 10-year at 4% last week. It's already down to 3.5%. Interest rates are really key right now because that's what all the valuation models work off of. Then we've seen things like, um, like, sorry, like inflation. Inflation is genuinely starting to get under control. I don't know when it's going to show up, but we saw in manufacturing PMI yesterday, we saw manufacturing PMI really start to come down. So we've seen huge signs. We've seen lumber prices come down. We're seeing housing start to come down. So things are getting better there. Then there are these big existential geopolitical things that scare the you know heck out of me, like what's China going to do with housing? How is German manufacturing going to hold up? How crazy is Putin and what's he going to do next? What's going to happen with midterm elections? So I have this battle going on. And for me right now, it is so complex. It's almost impossibly complex. And one of the things I've been talking about is that no one forecasts well. I don't forecast well. The best strategists don't forecast well. Everyone's kind of always wrong. So I think what you do now is you can control what you can control and you analyze what you can analyze. And that's where when you say if both sides are equal, you know, you're, you can't do anything. No, you actually can. Right. And you look at your portfolio and you look at what's out there. Yeah. And I was just going to say, I mean, it, it, with all that, then, if you are a portfolio manager looking at these things, you have to be looking at it through the lens of something and, and you have to find picks or opportunities. Right. So, so where do they lie and, and what makes them your picks? Right. And this is where individual stocks don't always move exactly in line with the market. So I actually emailed my analyst last week and I'm like, wow, on Friday, I said, wow, it really feels like there's capitulation, capitulation pricing in individual stocks. So you don't need to wait for the market to bottom, but you can look at individual stocks. So for me, 
and I do this, you know, half because it's my job and half just to bring myself emotional comfort, I look at each company and I look at Lamar advertising, for example. And anywhere you drive, you're going to see those huge Lamar billboards. They're the largest billboard owner, billboard owner in America. And they trade at 13 and a half times FFO. They have a 5.7% dividend yield. You can look back to their history of 08, 09. You can look to 2020. You can see how their earnings held up. You can see how their revenues held up. And you can say, hey, I'm safe here. I'm going to get my dividend yield. And when the market recovers, whether it's t- this week or six months from now or a year from now, I'm probably going to be fine if I can just be patient and calm and grit sure. my teeth and get through this. And I can look at Devon Energy. And you had um, Jorge Leon on earlier. Of course. And he said that they expect, yeah, they expect oil to be roughly 90 to 95. Well, stocks like Devon and Pioneer, they're pricing in like $60 oil. That's crazy. Of course. Meanwhile, we know oil's going to stay higher than that. And it's trading at like nine times earnings with a nine and a half percent yield. Yes, the yield's variable, but there's huge value to be found. So if you can just put your head down and ignore the broader news, there's really great companies to invest in out there right now. All right. Lamar, Devon, some of the top picks from Jenny Harrington. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next with futures implied sharply higher. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.